Hello and welcome to Priority Roll, an Age of Sigmar podcast from sunny England. Join us as we discuss the ever-changing character of wargaming in the mortal realms. Grab your D6 and get ready for the Priority Roll. Hello and welcome to episode 17 of Priority Roll. Today I'm joined by Heralds of War hero himself, Clint and or Cliff Mallet. How are you? Good, mate. How are you? Not too bad. Not too bad indeed. And today we are going to be talking about Call to Glory, an Age of Sigmar match play event at CanCon in Australia. So yep. thank you very much for joining us. How, how's it all going over, over in Australia? Uh... It's going relatively well. Um, relatively well. Obviously, you're having having some severe issues over there, aren't you? Uh, certain parts of the country are, yeah, yeah. But um, it's raining at the moment, so hopefully that just takes that edge off. Oh, glad, to, glad to hear. There's is yeah. kind of yeah, uh, it's getting better. Hopefully, um, has that has that impacted the? Uh, obviously, we are talking about the fires in Australia. If anyone isn't aware, um, is that is that impacting the event at all? Um, there's no. Like uh, where the event is, Canberra, there's no sort of fires, um, but there's lots of smoke. So the convention organisers are taking sort of a bunch of precautions and and measures to deal with the with the smoke. Um, so it's just it's air quality issues rather than you know the imminent threat of you know the convention being called off because it's on fire or anything like that. So gotcha. Well, um, yeah. Well, our you know our thoughts go out to those affected by it. So it must be pretty harrowing. Uh, just seeing. So Dan from Airwear Shorts tweeted a, a picture from from New Zealand and showing how like you know the sky was orange where he was all that way away. Yeah, because the uh, smoke had drifted across the off the across the Tasman and and. Uh, mucked with the area so you can only imagine what it's like actually um quite close to the fires yeah i bet right so do you want to tell us a little bit about what call of call to glory is and in fact what cancon is so cancon is australia's biggest uh gaming convention it's held in our national capital uh, canberra every year and has been for about 42 years or something like that um and so uh call to glory is the age of sigma event that uh myself and my friend dennis run uh at cancon so it's it's the age of sigma part of that and it's the largest part of the convention so which is pretty awesome and in terms of the event itself is it a a purely match play tournament or a narrative event or a little bit of column a and column b so so Call the Glory is primarily matched play, but we've got like we acknowledge that it's 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 a bit of a pilgrimage for a lot of the Australian Asia Sigma communities that are sort of spread out all the way from from North Queensland to South Australia to West Australia, basically everywhere, and they all sort of converge on Canberra. So while it's primarily matched play, we have little nods to you know the narrative gamers in you know in the form of narrative bingo which uh, takes a bit of inspiration from from Steve Wren's Warhammer achievements and you know we've got a bunch of uh, you know painting um uh, awards you know for army armies um and displays and that sort of stuff so we try and we give little nods to all parts of the hobby but it's primarily match play excellent and what's your what's your personal goal for the, for call to glory 2020 my personal goal is for it to run nice and smooth and uh to keep above the 200 player uh number because i think i don't think there's been a, a single event that uh, worldwide that's cracked that 200 on the day i think there's lots of you know there's lots of events the world over who have sold 200 tickets but i don't think any of us have quite cracked that number on the day and i'm hoping that this year we can kind of keep it there and um 
be quite, you know, the biggest event in the world. That's a, that's an impressive, what a great big ambitious goal. That'd be amazing if we hit, if we hit that as a, as a community, you know, globally to have a 200 player Age of Sigmar event. Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty amazing. And, and for it to be in Australia of all places, I think. Oh, absolutely. Makes it just a little bit more special. Oh, definitely. Definitely. So how many, how many are we on at the moment? What numbers are we at? Uh, 230. 230. And then, based on previous experience, how much wastage do you tend to get? So, uh, we had about 10 dropouts in the week before last year. Okay. So, even... So down to 220. That's still yeah. pretty good. That's, yeah. So, last year, our, our max cap was 220. And then, by the time the event had rolled around, we got to 196. 196. On the day. Oh, so close. I know. <laughs> I think, and I think that was tied with uh, South Coast from a few years ago in terms of largest events. So, you know. Oh, South a, Coast GT a, over here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, there's a bunch of events, and I think Bobo was fairly close to that as well. So, you know, maybe if we just keep on the right side of 200 and um, and hopefully that we're then just the first of a whole bunch that, that cracked that 200 number this year. Brilliant. So how many years have you been running this? Uh, this will be our fourth year. Fourth year. So uh, the first event that we ran was 2017. Have I got that right? Yep. Yes. Uh, it was 2017 and it was 47 people. Um, and then it's sort of double. It's pretty much doubled every year um, until we hit last year with the, the near 200. So, um, yeah, so our, our, it'll be our fourth event. And if you, you must have learned some fairly significant lessons from running it at a 50-person event all the way up to, you know, n- nearly 200. Uh yeah, so the biggest the biggest lesson that we learned um, was when we went from from sort of the fifty ish the first year to a hundred and five the second year. So it more than doubled in that twelve months, which was just outstanding. But the software that we used the first year did not cope the second year because it was all single person entry, uh, painful manual software. Um, and so the biggest thing that we've learned every year is to improve that, uh, you, you know, that score entry and and uh, that kind of thing to try and keep the process smooth, try and, you know, make sure that people aren't standing around and you don't have stuff up. So, yeah, as, as we've gotten bigger, we've refined how we do the scoring. And I've also, you know, increased the size of our team as well. So I guess it helps with the, the quick turnaround as well, because I know that obviously, with the exception of the, the games where you have lunch in the middle, you've got a 15 minute turnaround between games uh, two and three and five and six, haven't you? Yes. This year we have 15 minutes. Last year it was half an hour and it was only just enough. Um, but but last year we had sort of two people entering scores. And then this year we're switching to uh, a um, system called Down, Down Under Pairings, which is an online uh, scorekeeping and matchmaking uh, system that's being developed down here um and so because it's all player entered as they finish they're entering their own scores um people might be familiar with tabletop to or best coast pairings it's similar to that so you know there's not that huge whack of admin for the tos in between games so we can have slightly shorter breaks and 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 go home a little bit earlier which is you know, in a six-round event, it's quite it's quite a long long weekend. Oh yeah, I mean, I'm always ready to go home after game five, regardless of how many event, uh, games they're actually playing at the event. <laughs> so when yeah. you're playing a six-game event, it's like, oh, can we just get this one done with? And uh, <laughs> and then you've got to stay for presentations because you know it's it's nice to stay for that. But then some people, when they've got like a three or four-hour journey home, it can uh, it can really drag on, can't it? Yeah, it it can a little bit. Yeah, some people have three-hour journeys home. Uh, 
hour. My, mine personally is about fourteen hours. So I mean, we come obviously on, come don't on. You make me feel bad for for not staying for presentations now, and I've got a long drive home from Manchester or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So obviously we don't drive home straight away. But it's yeah, on a it's um, on a different scale over there, isn't it? It absolutely is. It is. Yeah. It's very different. I I I always sort of you know shook my head when I listened to UK podcasts going, oh, it's it's an hour <laughs> up the road. Just leave it there. I always shook my head yeah. when I listened to UK podcasts. <laughs> And so, but now that I've been over there and I've driven around, I can see why you don't enjoy driving around for an hour. So, yeah, because um, there's <laughs> roadworks on all of our damn motorways. <laughs> so I, I kind of get it now, but still, yeah, uh, it's that times about four for most people. Mm, yeah, I bet. So, how, yeah. how else does the the Australian scene differ from the UK scene? Oh, I should probably um, congratulate you because you're our first international guest on Priority Roll. That's pretty awesome. First of many, let's hope. But uh, yeah, we've been been chatting to a few members of the the Aussie community. But it's uh, good to get good to get some because um, you know we're, we're kind of like kindred spirits, aren't we? You know, Brits and Aussies. We're uh, you've got a very similar queen. That's well, that's the power of Warhammer, isn't it? You know, <laughs> forming these these bonds across across oceans and and you know and so we can all talk you know on podcasts or on YouTube or whatever or on Twitter um, and we're all talking about the same thing which is which is pretty awesome so uh, so how else does does the scene differ from because you've played over here you played at Bobo didn't you yes I did um, yeah um, the actual I suppose the actual event itself isn't too different um, because let's face it Warhammer is is pretty much Warhammer uh, wherever it is. Um, but I think in the in the the number of large events, I think is possibly the biggest difference. See, over 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 there, you guys have Blood and Glory, and you have Bobo, and you have South Coast GT, and you know um, you've got a bunch of events that are all sort of you know, Facehammer GT, which are all quite large events. Um, whereas over here in Australia, we tend to have fewer large events um that's changing um that you know the attendance numbers are pushing up on on everything so i think you know um there's a, a queensland tournament that sold out 120 tickets the other week uh which is pretty significant but once upon a time you know it was only uh, 50 was a big tournament uh in australia so that's that's one of the things plus people have to drive a lot further to get to get to events yeah, and does that geographical dislocation, you know, the, the kind of the spread of the country, does that impact the kind of pockets of meta, like the sub-metas? I, I don't know what the word for it is. You know how, like, um, when people play at, like, their local store and they're like, yeah, uh, Blight Kings are the best thing ever. I know Blight Kings have suddenly got a bit better, but, um, you know, someone's running around their local games workshop smashing someone up with, like, a like a fluffy Nurgle list with, you know, the Maggotkin riders and stuff. And then they come to a, a large-scale event in the UK certainly, and they're like, "Ah, oh, actually, this this isn't the best thing since sliced bread. There's some real some real different different shades of filth out there." Is that something that's kind of exacerbated by the fact that you've got uh, a wider spread of the country and less large scale events? I think it is. Um, you have sort of state based matters, so Queensland and New South Wales and uh, Victoria and South Australia. You know, all our different states, and they all have slightly different skews in their scene, which is quite interesting. Um, and 
they the top lists are still the top lists so you know you have people who travel between these different things and you know a change host is still a change host where, where whichever state you're from um but you'll find that um I'm trying to trying to think of how to how to say this properly but basically yeah certain types of lists are a bit more prevalent in different pockets of the country and i'm not i'm not entirely sure why that is because you would have thought that large enough communities in say new south wales and and queensland would have fairly similar styles of of um meta because they are though both of those metas are quite competitive compared to um uh say our south australian meta it's a little bit more laid back um but even just between two states, uh, there's a bit of a difference in in the kind of lists that people take. And then, of course, when you get um, when you get a big melting pot like CanCon, where all these states come together, uh, and you can definitely see that uh, there's a, there's a difference there. And you know, there's the two competitive states. I'm saying all this with bunny ears because I know that there are going to be people from different states in Australia listen to this and call me an idiot. Um, <laughs> I mean, that's the that's the risk that you have when you put yourself on the internet, isn't it? Oh, Here it, is my strong opinion. Of... <laughs> well, I'm someone else, and I have a different strong opinion. Exactly, and I already get called enough things on the internet, so idiot is fine. But in general, you can yeah, when everything comes together in 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 that melting pot, you can see that some states overall are just more competitive than others. It's it's a weird thing because because we all have access to the same models and the same information and you know the internet is out there but they just develop different ways and so you're not too far away from brizzy are you so is there a good is there a good competitive scene in in brisbane and other events run there yeah yeah so so brisbane brisbane slash sort of southeast queensland which is where i'm from has probably one of the most active is probably one of the most active areas for age of sigma in australia because um you know we've we've got 100 people tournaments that are that are being attended pretty much just by people within a three hour drive, um, which in Australia, that's, that's quite a big thing. Um, uh, Toowoomba where I'm from, which is about an hour and a half out of Brisbane is home to two podcasts and a YouTube channel. And so, and then Brisbane, there's another, um, another blogger, uh, Gabe from Runax who people might be familiar with. Um, you know, so it's kind of like this, this great little hub, of must, must be Sigma. something in the water. It's really quite bizarre just how how concentrated it is in uh, Brisbane and southeast Queensland. Um, but even then, you have a bunch of little groups, but they all kind of come together for certain events, and and um, and you know we all get along quite well. So. Yeah. My uh, my favourite heresy podcast is from Queensland, or beautiful Queensland, as they describe it, the Eye of Horrors podcast. Um, oh yeah, yeah, I have heard of them. I think I played one of them back in old fantasy days. Yeah, they're they're huge. They are <laughs> they are huge fantasy flat fans. They are not fans of uh, Age of Sigma. <laughs> they uh, yeah, they're, they're I think they they they've started. Uh, I think it's called the Elect Accounts. They've started a kind of fantasy. I think it's Eighth Edition. You know, podcast talk and playing that. They're they're big fans of of that of the square bases. Not not so much Age of Sigma. Um, but I've uh, I've recently also got into Necromunda, so uh, I've been enjoying listening to their uh, Necromunda content as well. So shout out to the Eye of Horus guys from beautiful Queensland if uh, if they're around and uh, and they obviously they won't be listening to this because it's Age of Sigma, but uh, no. Yeah. But that's cool. They're playing games. They're doing their thing. Exactly. It's all Warhammer at the end of the day, isn't it? Absolutely. As long as people, you know, people talk about the the. Um the rivalry between the games, AOS and Ninth Age and Kings of War and whatever. But as long as we're all playing games and having fun, that's the main thing. 
Exactly. Cut me, still bleed the same, as uh, as the saying goes. Right. So let's talk yeah. about the event itself. Um, did you have a? You mentioned your own you kind of your goals for the event, but was there a certain ethos that you were trying to to generate for running the event? Did you want? Did you want it to run in a certain style? We try and run it fairly close to um, vanilla rules. I guess it's possible. So out of the book. Uh, last year, so in 2019, we did we used the realms and did a realm per round and things like that and i thought why not we why don't we just set it in one realm this year and so we picked gyron uh and uh or gyran however you would like to say it uh and so aside from just sticking to a to a single realm the rest of the the rest of the event is fairly by the book and i think um that's how we like to run it um there are other events in australia that have custom scenarios that have different things that are a bit more narrative and whatever but we we like to keep it nice and and sort of straight aos i guess you could you could say and so that uh, i mean that's that's really mm. interesting that you've uh you've just gone for one realm and but you're using the realm spell command ability and all and a selection of the realm events aren't you realm effects rather yeah so we're using uh aside from selecting the realm scape features uh we're using the entire lot so all the spells out of malign sorcery uh the realm command ability and the um realm spell are in use and then we're just sort of we're picking some of the um the realm scape features and making sure that um, because some of them one you know one of them's like put a put a sylvaneth wildwood on the on the field and and we don't obviously don't expect people to bring those along with them on the off chance that we use that feature so we kind of narrow that list down for people, and then everything else we sort of have in play. So all the all the wonderful spells, as much as um, people are finding out how good Nagash is in the realms with spells, which um, I know in the UK has been talked to death, but not so much over here. So, so have you have people, you found access to granting everyone access to the full the full power of the realm of life? Have you found that's impacted the lists? Because lists lists aren't out yet, but uh, this will be released after lists are out. So I think we can safely talk about them. Uh, there are a lot of casters. Um, yeah, there are a lot. There are a lot of casters, and I think, but I think at the same time, um, a lot of the recent releases are sort of pushing that way too. So it's probably this year. It's probably harder for us to figure out what what pushed people in that direction because Nagash and Bone Reapers is quite good already. So people were going to be taking him uh, taking that regardless of whether they had realm spells or not. I think uh, Zinch, the new Zinch book, is in play. It's quite good and quite casty, so people were probably going to take it. Uh, and and Hello Hard as well in cities. So there was already going to be a bit of a magic skew already. And I think what's happened is those will just be that little bit better. They're already good. They'll just have that little bit of icing on the on on the cake now uh, with the spells. So. Yeah, and you've also you've also got mercenaries allowed as well. Yeah, because they're in um, match play. We thought, why not give people options? Give people options on to play with the toys that they want. But uh, so we we decided to allow it. We got some interesting messages saying, "Why are you allowing this nonsense?" Uh, and <laughs> this nonsense, in the end, <laughs> this nonsense, this narrative play stuff. Uh, but in the end, uh, we have zero mercenaries in all of our lists. There, nobody took them. So um, it's certainly not because we didn't allow them. It's just because people have, have made other choices. So uh, people who sent me messages saying you're going to break things, um, 
nothing's going to be broken because there's no mercenaries, which I was surprised about. I'm, I'm not going to lie. Um, so you've had a you've had a fairly strong reaction from some members of the community as a result of that in in the lead up. Uh, maybe not strong, but just they felt well they felt strongly enough about it to send me a message, which often I suppose you could consider a strong reaction <laughs> um, because well often people will just grumble grumble into their beards and wander off, but. Um, uh, yeah, I don't know. People, people just thought it was it was more narrative play, and I kind of consider parts of it narrative play. But I wanted to give people options um, and and to present the full width of the game. So, but you've already said that the event you want to take in some narrative elements, and whilst it is a, a match play event itself, you you have wanted to encourage narrative players. And it's interesting that at a you know essentially two hundred person event where you could have the potential for some absolute. <laughs> some absolute, I don't know, like amazing lists out there at a real top end that none of those players have decided to take mercenaries. So it's it's interesting that when given the option, those that wanted to really push the kind of boundaries haven't chosen to do so with mercenaries. And those that m- might have had the opportunity to do so from a narrative perspective haven't done so either. Mm, yeah, it's I, I expected them in the narrative end of things rather than the competitive edge of things. So, and, and even then, you know, even our probably our most most narrative of players um you know the aussie wargamer uh with his pirate orcs uh pirate destruction he hasn't taken anything there um and neither of of a couple of other narrative players that i would have expected to maybe look at stuff yeah so look it 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 was in the pack um people haven't used it doesn't mean i'm taking it out next year um it's just one of those things yeah, excellent. So you've kind of taken everything relatively out of the box, out of the book rather. Uh, but secondary objectives, you've gone for custom ones of those, haven't you? Yeah, um, I think they didn't exist. Like the GW ones didn't exist when we wrote the pack for last year. I don't believe. I think I, I'm trying to remember when they. Because like, wasn't I know that they're Blood and the- Glory last year the first time they did? them or am i my my time just kind of goes into a little portal vo- uh, vortex so yeah. I, I lose track of which event but i'm fairly certain blood and glory last year was the first time they had them i want to say quite possibly or would it would be the year before because they're in the general's handbook for this year That's but right. they were released on the web before that but i think but see by the time blood and glory is out our packs already been out for two months yeah so we would have already been writing we would have already written our secondaries because mm. they didn't really exist um and then so for this year we just built on some extra ones and so some of them are based on the g-dub uh, on the on the games workshop uh secondaries that are in the general handbook um but some of them are uh, our own or some of them are twists on that so um it we just built on what we had the previous year rather than decide consciously deciding to not use the games workshop ones this year for 2021 um now that they're part of the games work, uh, out of part of the general handbook, we might switch to the games workshop ones for 2021. Who knows? But um, uh, you're, the you're, you're the TO. It's your decision, and, and I like that. I like that you've kind of you've you've added your own spin on things. Uh, you know, we we always talk about on the podcast. And multiple guests have said that the variety in the scene, certainly in the UK scene, is uh, is is a strength. And actually, being able to go, everything's out of the book in 21, and it's out of the book with a twist in 22, and you know, and onwards. Mm. Yep. So yeah. was, it, was there certain something you were trying to achieve with the secondary objectives? Did you did you have a, an idea in mind when you were creating them? So they you have to we have to make sure that as many people as possible with as many different armies can achieve as many or can attempt to achieve 
as many secondaries as they can. So there's no use having six secondaries that make you that count um that are scored by killing things because there are armies out there who don't kill stuff you know um one of our most famous players one of the most famous australian players dan brewer has won games by killing no models <laughs> you know and just by forcing combat-based secondaries on those sorts of armies you're basically saying you can't achieve a bunch of these so you know out of the 10 that are available you can do four so which means you can know you have no chance of doing all of your secondaries and that's not that's not good feeling for people so um we tried to vary the types of secondaries that are in there so some are movement-based, some are capturing, some are killing, some are, you know, so we just try and vary that up. Um, and there are uh, ones in there that, you know, if you get to round six and the only secondaries that you had left all dealt with behemoths and you played a guy who had none, then that's a bit rubbish as well. So we tried to make sure that uh, people have options uh, going in. And, um, yeah, uh, with with our secondaries as well, they're not hidden agendas they're they're true secondary objectives that you declare to your opponent because part of our scoring includes denying of secondaries so uh, you know you both work up to the table look at each other's lists pick your secondaries talk about it and then you both know oh, well i've got to ch do my secondary and stop him doing his and you know and that's the way to, you know um that's one of the ways that we're looking to break out our pack um at, by pack, I mean, like, break the players out score-wise. And talking of scoring, you've got um majority of uh, your points are, are gaming slash battle, uh, but you do have a total of 25 TPs available um, for painting a best opponent. But my my analysis of this is up to 20 points of, of the, the tick box that you've got down at the bottom of the pack available for painting points, and at least one best opponent opponent vote gets you 5 TP. Now, if you get 5 or 6 best opponent votes, you still only get 5, t five TP, right? Correct. Yeah. yeah. We've, we've, we've seen events where people got, you know, the, the person who won best sports got all of their best opponent votes, so they get 25 points, which is more than a major victory, and that can kind of move them from, say, 5th, to first you know um and while good sportsmanship and you know uh, being a really good um really good person at the table needs to be rewarded perhaps not that fashion so you know the five the five points there is just a bit of a sweetener so you know um so in my mind really there's no reason and this might have been a bit of a sweeping statement, but there's no reason why all all players can't get 25 points because uh yeah yeah the luck of the draw of maybe not getting not getting a uh a best opponent vote uh, perhaps there but there's no reason why all players can't get 20 points for painting and as long as you're gaming in the right spirit then you're potentially there's a realistic possibility you'll get at least one vote out of the six so it's i guess it, it kind of it's good that it's there because it helps people push their painting because it, it did you take inspiration from blood and glory for the painting rubric uh from blood and glory and from um the dwellers events over here both both use a very similar system where it's you know you know x amount of, op, of of points available but they're capped at a certain level i believe i'm not sure if blood and glory is capped i can't remember yeah but like, um, blood and glory is capped yeah yeah so you know in our first year when we were trying to build the scene it was pretty much is your stuff painted yes is it coherent yes there's 10 points and then we kind of have been using – we've been trying to use our painting rubric to drive forward the painting of the people who come and perhaps help um, people just push themselves just that little bit further, a little bit further, a little bit further. Um, 
because we we like seeing beautifully painted armies doesn't matter um if if it's your first army or your 15th you know if you put in effort and paint your whole army it looks wonderful on the table and that's what we want that's what we want to showcase um so the you know i think there's a max of 40 40 or 45 points available in the painting rubric but it's capped at 20 so it doesn't matter if you can convert but you can't paint freehand or you can paint free you know amazing freehand banners but you suck at green stuff you know 99.9 percent of people should be able to hit the 20 and it's all about just um encouraging people to make the effort and it's also about encouraging people to because i've just you know i've, I've looked at i've looked at the list now and, and i've just thought you know what, what am i going to be taking this weekend this is recorded the the, the day before brotherhood in fact I'm, I'm going to brotherhood as a spare player and i'm going to be taking my skaven so i'm looking at the looking at the list and thinking where would i place it but at the moment it wouldn't be a 20 point army but i thought i can easily think of ways that i can add to it so for example let's say you've got the advanced techniques so army shows small amounts of freehand e.g. symbols or markings, one point. Army shows yep. multiple examples of freehand, e.g. multiple banners, markings, or tattoos, three points. Army shows accomplished, consistent, and extensive use of advanced techniques such as OSL, wet blending, non-metallic metal, large-scale freehand, etc. Five points. So there's no way I'm going to get five points. Currently, it's at one point because I've, I've drawn a scaven symbol on a banner so I can get a point of blood and glory. Um, but multiple banners, markings, or tattoos. Okay, well, I'll just add add to the banners a little bit. I'll you know maybe add some some transfers, some tra- chaos symbols to the banners, or maybe there's a vermin lord that I can add some tattoos or you know blood to it you know that kind of thing you think do you know what, that i could easily in a in an afternoon push that from a one point to a three point army just in the the advanced techniques yep and and it's stuff that's achievable by pretty much anyone who wants to put the effort in that's that's really what we um what we strive for because we have a, a strict uh no unpainted models policy it's very strict have and will remove models from the table um have done it in did it the first year i think i did it last year hopefully i don't have to do it coming this coming year so yeah well it's one of the, it's a difficult call to make because as you like people have come a long way just for that but equally other people have paid a lot of money and also come a long way and want to play in the event they've signed up to the event and they've i would say t, uh, tp packs uh, sorry tournament packs are are a kind of a a contract you enter to a, a social contract as a player to ensure that you give good games to your opponents you finish on time uh, you bring your army you turn up on time and all that good stuff but you also adhere to the pack by co- mm-hmm. by attending an event you are you are making a commitment to adhere to the pack and if that pack says painted models then don't it's like asking for take backs almost so you can mm-hmm. ask for a take back from your opponent because you've got to do something in the the hero phase i'm 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 terrible for it and it's something i i, I personally one of my goals for 2020 is to is to ask for less takebacks, but actually to game in a different way that means I don't have to ask for less takebacks. So it's because there was a thread going on Twitter uh, recently where it was like, you know, is would you ask for a takeback or, or would you give your opponent takebacks? And it's it's less about would you as an let's say player B would player B give player A a takeback? It's it's more about player A shouldn't be asking for takebacks. Player A should try and up their game so that they don't need to ask for takebacks because you you don't want to put your opponent in a position where they where they're faced with a moral dilemma of do i give this person a takeback or not am i going to deny myself a sports score if i don't give them a, a takeback 
because it's that's unfair on on your opponent to to put that burden on them you sh- you as a player should be playing a tighter game and it's it, i can say this very like very much and people who play me know that my my memory's terrible so i'm constantly forgetting things you know i i will put you know unit that needs to deploy by turn three or gets destroyed deploying out the sky i'll put it on the table in front of me and say i know it's my hero phase but i'm planning on putting these down on the table at the end of the movement phase and then they're sat mm. in the center of the table to, to remind me and i'll still go right shooting phase and then my opponent will be like yes. did you did you want to deploy those and i was like yeah 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 i did so i'm awful for it which is why i guess i feel i feel qualified to say i shouldn't be doing that and and i would actively encourage people to use things like aos reminders or use things like visual aids um you know maybe like a turn a turn list so yes you've got your aos reminders kind of um points in the turn so in the hero phase you do this in the movement phase you do this but maybe go up a level and say in my first turn i plan on doing that you know maybe write it in a little code or write acronyms so like yeah write pds on it which stands for prime drop strategy you know and you know what that means and you look you look so your opponent looks at it and goes what on earth is that write it in greek or french or something you know obviously <laughs> so you know in order to up your age in my game learn a completely different language um but you know write it in whatever whatever mean whatever is a, a coded way or, or put it on your phone or something um do it so that you can know what you want to achieve in each turn and then mm. and then use that as a reminder so that you don't have to uh, put your opponent in a difficult decision. Sorry, we've segued slightly, but that's uh, that's something that I'm quite passionate about now because I'm personally trying to improve my my kind of implementation of that. Yeah, I, that's something that I I have to work on this year as well. I I will as much as I can not talk, not tell my opponent what I have forgotten until it's two turns later or at the end of the game, because if you if they don't know, they don't have to feel bad about not letting you do something. Oh, yeah. And you also don't put them in that position. But if you go at the end of the game, you go, you know, what I that that point where I turn around and swore to myself, yeah, that's when I should have done this. Yeah. But I didn't want, you know, I didn't want to put you in a bad, you know, you in a have to make a call on that. So I just kept my mouth shut. You know, I, 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 yeah, I, I, I keep I my need, mouth shut. You know, definitely <laughs> at the table. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you know, me as a player needs to learn that turn three is when this happens. You know, and that's that's a practice thing. I, I give too much away because and, and give my opponent ideas and things like that, because because they'll be like, they'll move a unit something. And then, and then I'll be like, oh, yeah, no, oh, no, you're going to do this. And they'll be like, I wasn't planning on doing that, but thanks for the reminder. Or or I'll say something like, oh, how many wounds does does that model have left? And that, that'll jog their memory and they'll be like oh yeah actually they've only got one wound i must remember to heal you know things like that like i'll ask questions for my own benefit not and by doing so give them a slight benefit because it's reminded them about something or something like that not not to say that you should look to win because your opponent's forgotten something but i'm more and more of the opinion that the people say ah oh, i don't want to win purely because my opponent forgot something but i think the skill of the game is ensuring you do remember everything and do things in the right order. Yeah, you don't want to win because your opponent forgot to hit. You don't want to win because you've knocked that one wound off something that could have healed D3 and would have survived. Like, that's, I don't know, to me that would be a a slightly hollow win because they didn't remember to do this thing that they have to do every turn. Um, Yeah, I understand that completely. 
Right, so yeah, lo- lovely little segue there uh, about uh, gaming. What were we talking about? We're talking about painting. Take, talk, talk, talking about ta- some tournament or something. Um, right, so scoring. We talked about scoring. So we, we, we've got uh, some soft scores, but they are they are eminently achievable. But the majority of your scoring is very focused on gaming and battle. And then you do have um, best painted and coolest army. And you, you've, you've ruined one of my questions because one of my questions is coolest army and best painted. What's the difference? Coolest army and best we painted. Literally- what's the difference? It's 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 a it's a box. It's literally a breakout pack. block in your pack. <laughs> so, because uh, people, yeah, because I think people get a little bit confused. Like, I know that, um, you know, Matt on the Pro Painted podcast has sort of talked about, you know, best painted as a thing. Perhaps it shouldn't be what the awards call for armies and change it to best army and whatever. But over for CanCon, we have Coolest Army, which is, you know, um, the army on a display board with all the knickknacks and it's just... It's the one that that people look at and they go, "Wow, you know," and that's that's what the coolest army is. And so we shortlist. Obviously, we don't get all two hundred armies lined up on a bench somewhere, and you have to look at all of them over a period of evenings. Uh, we sort of shortlist them down to about fifteen, and then people vote um, on what on which they think is the coolest. So that's the coolest army. It's very much a, a, a visual wow factor kind of thing and people do it's it's kind of you know the cancon coolest army has kind of you know it, it's in australia it's our equivalent of you know the south coast um competition that you know a bunch of people go for every year you know it's the, the kind of steve foot the world, the world yeah. yeah 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 so over here it's called the blake kerwick um because there's a, a chap named blake who has won it every year uh <laughs> with with everything from um Awesomely converted tomb kings to big Nurgle displays. I think last year he had a last year he had a Seraphon flesh eater quartz army. So basically, um, uh, the ghouls were like skink heads on ghoul bodies because basically it was feral Seraphon, and they used the flesh eater quartz rules. So he had all sorts of weird, wonderful converted lizards and things like that um, as part of that army, and so uh, on a huge display board. Um, and so he romped home with that. So he's won every year, uh, but this year he's not coming. He's not coming in. 2020, I was going to say the so. next question was, "What's he working on this year?" But he's not coming. It's a it's a free for all, a feeding frenzy. Of course, I mean, it's Steve, I can I can hear Steve Foot booking a, a flight right now. <laughs> he's welcome to come. Um, he's welcome to come. Uh, maybe he can book it in for twenty twenty one. I but, think what um, he probably needs to do is. Uh, Think of something that is transportable because Cordus Armies often uses display board. Yeah, maybe he yeah. needs to fly out like a couple of months before and spend two months, like some sort of, you know, like a, in like a Rocky montage, fly out to some. I'm just imagining like a kind of, uh, I don't know, what's your equivalent of like a, a hermit hut in Australia, like an old ranch uh, is, out in Western Australia or something. We don't, we don't really have ranches. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, we we it would be a like a. Um, uh, a, a, a fibro fibro shed out in the in, in the outback somewhere. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. You'd have yeah, Steve Foot so, in there and like some you know power metal or Bonnie Tyler playing and just like there him like working on a lathe. Yeah, I can see that in my head now actually. <laughs> so. <laughs> there we go right we have once again distracted ourselves so um yeah you wanted to award cool armies and, and nicely painted armies but not have it impact uh the final standings from a gaming perspective as well yeah absolutely yeah so we we have the coolest armies for the the wow and we have a judge's choice you know for and that's the technical painting hmm. and so that's something that that uh we as the tos wander around and sort of check and and um 
and so last year we had uh, you know we had Rob and Nathan out so they um, they had a, a had a vote as part of our our uh, judges choice and this year we have uh, the wonderful Vince Ventrella oh wow who will be uh, one of our paint judges so uh, you know that that's that's a pretty high high uh, bar for for him to you know he's he's quite an accomplished painter quite accomplished that's, you, you, that's you massively that. <laughs> that's massively underselling he is him not but, too bad at painting yeah there's something like that so Vince not um, too bad at painting Ventura yeah yeah I'll get him a shirt that says that um <laughs> so basically yes with him as one of our paint judges you know you, you know that it's going to be you know the best technical painting or you know that um, that's being marked in that. So, yeah, we had the, the those awards split because I think they're two very different things, and I think they both very much need to be rewarded. Uh, but at the same time, um, it is a match play event, so that sort of sits outside the the normal you know scoring structure. Yeah, it makes sense. So lists. We're recording this on Friday the seventeenth of January, and it's going to be released on Friday the twenty fourth of January, the day before CanCon, uh, or the day before mm-hmm. the event rather. Um, Lists are going to be released on Monday the 20th, so people who will have had a, a chance during the week to have reviewed the lists and checked out the list, but currently they are they are not released into the wild. Mm-hmm. Has anything, has I, anything I, caught your caught your eye? I, I've not uh, seen them either. I've not I've not had a sneaky preview for this podcast, so, so I'm going in blind. Is there anything any any themes you're seeing as well? Uh, so I finished checking the lists this afternoon um, about six hours ago. Uh, one thing stood out for sure, and that is. Uh, Ossiark Bone Reapers are quite popular, aren't they? Um, <laughs> mm. Is there a certain allegiance within OBR that's uh, very prevalent? Uh, I'd have to say it's got to be uh, Petrofex Elite. <laughs> no way. Just... You All surprised right. me, Clint. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Um, lots. So we had... We, we have lots. I don't have an exact number, but we have lots and lots and lots of Bone Reapers coming. Uh, way more than I expected, to be perfectly honest, uh, considering how um, how relatively new an army they are. Um, we also have lots of uh, lots of Zinch um, coming out of the woodwork and lots of KO coming back as well. And I this think. will be new Zinch and a new KO, right? Mm. Given the time. Yeah, yeah. Yep. So, so we, we get this every year. Uh, Games Workshop announce a book that's up for pre-order on the weekend that we close off our rules. Um, and every year, you think we'd have learned by now, um, every year we have to decide whether we're going to use the new book or the old book. Uh, and every year we invariably say, let people play with the new stuff. Um, so, you know, people are getting to play with the, you know, the d- new dude in dirigible suit and uh, Grunstock gun hauler battle line and all that sort of fun stuff. So... But then your event's running on the twenty fifth and twenty. It starts on the twenty fifth of January, and the book's released on the eighteenth. It was. It was. Or was it last uh, week? It, was that our last week? It was last week. It so was it was, out last it week. was released on the eleventh. Yeah, wasn't it? God, I lose track. Yep. It's just so many releases to keep up. Keep up with. Um, so that's a good two week period for people to digest. If the book had been released on the eighteenth, would you still be using it? Uh no, no, because that because it uh, over here in Australia we tend to have um, list submissions. So that tends to be two weeks before the event, uh, which gives people uh, gives you an opportunity to check them, make sure they're right, um, and then they get released sometime in that period. Um, I know that's not how that gets done everywhere. I know that a lot of the, the 
uh, a lot of bigger events um, in the UK. You know, you just turn up on the day with your list. Um, it's, it, that sort of hasn't caught on here. Um, but basically, sorry, the books were released on the Saturday, uh, which was list submission day. But we pushed that back a couple of days so that people can uh, people could read the books and, and yeah, yeah, tweet their list. Yeah, it's and, still it's still not a huge um, huge amount of time for people to to do it. So there's that that opportunity it's like oh well i'm going to be playing in this event and there'll be new books there and i won't have had an opportunity to play it but there'll be people who are bringing those books who possibly haven't had an opportunity to play too many practice games with it so people tend to be on an even footing cuts both ways you know what i mean yeah yeah so let's say you're running an event on uh let's let's say you're running an event where list submission is on the day how far away would you consider a book release would would you if you're running a 20 on the 25th and list submission was on the day would you take a Would you take a book that was released on the eighteenth? Do you think a week between release and event is is sufficient? You know, remove the list submission factor out of it. Yeah, I I think we probably would. Um, I I just uh, otherwise you're relying on people to keep copies of old books and old War Scrolls and old stuff. And even though it's only for a week, people as a collective are unreliable. Is something I've found as a TO. Um, I know that's a horrific view of like. Of, of my fellow humans, but it's something I've it's learned. It's based on experience. And, and, you know. It's based on experience. <laughs> um, yeah, so I think I think you can't expect people to make sure that they've downloaded everything and gotten everything, all the ducks in a row, before it all changes to make sure that they've got it at an event. Um, I, I know that other events have done that, um, and I don't know how successful they were um, at making sure that everybody had the right copies of the War Scrolls and stuff like that, but I think just letting people play with their new toys is always a good thing too. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we're we're off to Brotherhood this weekend, and um, that's using the old KO and old Zinch books. Yeah, but yeah. you can absolutely understand why that decision has been made, given that it's a team tournament and the lists aren't taken necessarily in isolation. They're taken as part of a, a wider team hand, you know, hand of teams. So yep. a hand and of lists, the- rather. So you can absolutely see why that's uh, uh, and and obviously list submission again was was before as well. So you've got two points yeah. in there. You've got both list submission and the fact that a list isn't isn't taken on its own it's taken as, as a as a kind of suite of larger lists part of yeah, the greater yeah. whole yeah no, i absolutely understand that yeah especially if a book's released after your original list submission window um you know that's a bit rough to try and expect a to 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 move that window to accommodate some books and things like that so. and also it um then kind of puts a, and i'm not saying people people would necessarily actively take advantage of this but it it, rem- it puts a question over the integrity of that list in that other, you know, the lists have been. If the lists are released into the wild, and then an A list gets edited or changed after that, then to what extent has that list been edited mm. with with a with the other lists in mind? And that's unfair on the other players, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you've only got to see see how much things um, in in the the Caradron books or the Zinch books changed. That you know they lists before that book and after that book are very different things now and so having that much change after a list submission window or without you know the appropriate time to digest it is yeah it's unreasonable to expect so what are, what's your what's your favorite have you got a favorite list out of the whole document out of 200 lists is one really caught your eye um at the moment my current thing uh that i'm super keen on is um is beast chaos that's what I want to. That's what I want to spend this year working on. Uh, and so we've got uh, we've got a brass to spoilers list coming that's full of minotaurs. So I'm okay with that. That's pretty much. <laughs> yeah, it no, doesn't. That's cool. It doesn't tick any of the competitive boxes. I don't think. But it just you know it. Uh, 
it does it for me. And it was also our first list in as well. So I got that, like, it was it was uh, well before list submission time. The, the chap had obviously... Um, so Ken is his name. Uh, he, he Ken had obviously decided this is what I am taking. It doesn't matter what those other books come out, whatever. So he submitted this in like December, um, and it's full of Bulgors and Centigors, and it's in um, it's a brass to spoilers. It's still in Beasts of Chaos, but um, I still think it's a great list. Oh, um, lots you, of fun. You love to see it. Like who doesn't? Yeah. I, that's that's my kind of army, and I don't. I stop myself from building those kind of armies because I love the theme of it. But then I think, oh, I game the majority of my gaming is done at tournaments. Am I going to enjoy this army if it can't, you know, hold its own at a tournament? Probably not. Yeah. So my my enjoyment of the hobby isn't, you know, completely linked to, com to competitiveness. But I don't like to invest all that time, my hobby time, if when it comes to gaming time, it's not going to be able to hold its own. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and that's traditionally how I, I've been gaming. But I think, you know, my 2020 will be competitive focused. Uh, the, the cliff side of me will come out and I, I want to focus on competitiveness. So so while I think this list is amazing and hilarious and great, um, my beasts will be a little bit different. <laughs> and cliff is your, your kind of Jekyll and cliff, Hyde alter ego, isn't it? Yeah, it wasn't always so. Um there's a Cliff, a Cliff has a has an origin story. Yeah. Um, so there was a chap in our who who sort of arrived into our scene, um, and he legitimately thought for I think two months that my name was Cliff, not Clint. Um, and so he'd call me Cliff, and it just kind of other people picked up on that, and then eventually it became it sort of grew from just a funny name to call me to when I'm winning games, and you know when I've gone through day one and I'm three games up. It's like, oh, well, Cliff's piloting this because you're doing well, you know, and it became my competitive alter ego. I love it. And so, <laughs> and so, and so 2020 is going to be the year of the year of Cliff, I think. So I'm going to have to get, get little patches made for my Heralds of War shirts to go over the name so I can be Cliff instead of Clint. So, yeah, the event as a whole, I'm, I'm super happy that Australia has been able to get behind it. And I'm, I'm really glad, you know, we've got people coming over from Scotland this year. Um, so we've got Stu West from from Northern Invasion and uh, Sean. I don't know how to pronounce his last name. Uh, basically, Sir Flukes a lot on Twitter. They're coming over from Scotland. We've got Joe Pagano coming over from America, and we've got a bunch of Kiwis coming over from New Zealand. So uh, not only is it awesome that Australia gets behind the event, but the world is sort of getting behind it, and I think that's that's really awesome. Yeah, I'd l I'd love to do some international AOS at some point. I might I might start European based, but then it's convincing convincing all members of that are involved in the uh, <laughs> the the financial decisions that uh, a trip to Australia to play Warhammer is is a is a good idea. It's it's only twenty hours and two thousand pounds, so <laughs> you know, it's not quite, well, it's that much for the both of you. So okay, you know. well, I mean, I can I can easily see a way to to half the costs there. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, maybe permanently though. Um, <laughs> Just a one-way ticket. Yeah. yeah, she might buy you the one-way ticket if you suggest. Yeah, uh, I mean, surely that that would half the cost again. If I don't need to buy two tickets, I just, I, yeah. <laughs> one ticket, one return ticket, or one single ticket. Right. So, what's your let's let's kind of wrap up the event chat. So, what's been your biggest challenge so far? Uh, coping with the growth. Um, so the first, so like I've said a couple of times, the first year was sort of 50, 47, 50 players, let's call it 50. Uh, and then we doubled that and that kind of took us by surprise and we weren't quite prepared uh, as a team. Uh, so so the people I ran it with in the first year were different to the people I ran it with in the second year. Uh, so 
Uh, the second year onwards, it's myself and a chap named Dennis, who gets nowhere near enough credit for helping me out. Um, so big shout out to him. Uh, so he he and I did it by ourselves for the second year. So a hundred person event, two people running it just would completely took us by surprise. Uh, and so our biggest challenge has been keeping up with the growth of it. And you could say that that's on our own, uh, on ourselves for selling so many tickets, like having that capacity. Um, but I think we're in a good place uh, this year to stay on top of that. Um, you know, we're at about the same sort of people level we were last year. We've made huge improvements in, in speeding things up and making sure we've got enough boots on the ground. And, you know, um, yeah, so well and truly the biggest challenge has been just the explosion in growth in the event and us not being quite as prepared as we thought um, but I think this year is the year we get on top of that. And what's been the most rewarding thing about running the events? Uh, the, the the most challenging thing and the most rewarding thing are the same thing, which is the explosion in growth. <laughs> so, you know, um, it it boggled the mind when it doubled the first year. It, uh, from the first to second year, it, boggled, it was just bizarre seeing it go to, you know, we, uh, we sold 200 tickets uh for the 2019 event in in a weekend effectively that that was just ridiculous um but seeing the first the first cancon was the first aos event for so many people so many people who were who are now names i guess or are now community leaders or community fi- or, or people who are helping to shape their community so the aos coach you know anthony magro uh the first cancon the first aos at cancon was his first event um so, and then, you know, there's a bunch of Sydney players. Um, there's uh, some South Australian players that all came to that first CanCon and they've all gone back and they've helped grow their own communities. And then they, those communities come back into CanCon the following year and then they meet other people and, and you get these, these interstate sort of bonds growing and interstate communities and people start to fly between states to play events and things like that. So, but we all kind of converge on CanCon every year and see how that scene has grown and help that scene grow more that and that's that's the rewarding thing is seeing people enjoying the game and seeing it grow um sort of year on year and seeing people enjoy it brilliant yeah i'm a big big fan of aos coach of, of anthony we played on the stream actually at blood and glory a few years ago and uh, I, I watched that game <laughs> <laughs> he even gave me some of your uh your your, your penguins the uh the uh t- tom tims whatever they're called tim tims yeah, and they are not I'm, the same I'm, I'm, only, I'm only winding you up don't don't, be, don't be start that <laughs> don't even start that just, i know just, just, i should just say disclaimer all. i know exactly what tim tams are i know they're not penguins i'm just trying to wind you up <laughs> i know just end, ending the skype call now ending yep. the skype call. <laughs> reaching out to your computer and deleting the podcast um right well so what's your what's your favorite events to go to in in australia or, or in fact the world um so the events that I've had had the most fun at over the last sort of twelve months, there was a, an event in South Australia called the South Australian GT, and I really enjoyed that um, because it was about forty to fifty people and just had a really cool, casual, like it was a competitive event. Don't get me wrong, but it just had a very nice casual sort of vibe to it and that's the kind of event that i like uh to attend um and the other event that i really enjoyed was the the runax teams event so we had a, a four-person teams event in november that was run by a chap named gabe hannah uh from runax wargaming uh and i think there were 20 odd teams from all over australia there um and it was just a really fun weekend i painted up a whole army full of squigs just for the event and just 
pushed bouncy boys across the table a weekend and had a load of fun you know it's it's the kind of event where it's not ranked it doesn't you know there's no we're not playing for sheep stations you just there to have fun play some team the team dynamic adds its own little cool stuff um you know to an otherwise normally single match play year um yeah and that's what i've really enjoyed and anything you're looking forward to next year, or, or in fact, um, this this year? Now that now that we're in 2020, it's yeah, it's this year. It's this year now. That's um, that's why when I was talking about Blood and Glory and uh, and General's handbooks and objectives, I was like, I think it was last year, but no, it wasn't last year because we're now in 2020, so it was last year, last year. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I keep saying next year for CanCon when in fact it's about eight days away. <laughs> it's next week. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, so the Dwellers Blow are running a narrative event. It's something that we haven't really had too much of, you know, um, narrative events like uh, you guys have Raw. Uh, the Americans tend to have one like they have a, a, a Nova narrative, I think it is. I think it's a Nova, I think. Um, you know, and, and Australia hasn't traditionally had a decent sized narrative event and, and the dwellers have decided that they'll that's what they'll do this year. That's the event that they'll run. Um, and I am super looking forward to that because it's something completely different. And I get to just paint some models that to tell a story. I don't have to worry about being competitive as much as I want this year to be a competitive year. And, you know, I want to try and do well. Um, having that event as something else in my calendar, I'm really looking forward to it. And are there any events that you feel that you would like to see in Australia that aren't being run? We have a really good variety. You know, we have everything from the, the, the 40 player events right up to crazy things like, CanCon, um, and we have teams. Uh, we've got n- narrative ones now. We don't have any big doubles events. I don't know. I don't know if you can technically run, you know, big doubles events. But I think, you know, Adepticon had what 170 teams or something like that last year in their team. In their, they call it teams, but it was doubles. Um, yeah, we don't have that. I reckon that would be quite a cool format to have. Um, you know, maybe alongside, maybe alongside CanCon next year. You know, because. CanCon, the convention, is three days. So maybe, you know, that third day is a is a doubles event next year or something. That'd be quite cool. Mm, there's always, always options for more, aren't there? Absolutely. So, right. So if people want to get hold of you on Twitter, um, what's the best way to do it? So uh, my Twitter handle is at Heralds of War. And have you got any shout outs? Uh, yeah, I've got a shout out. I've got shout outs to the people who have helped me tremendously with CanCon. So, uh, who are part of, maybe part of my team, maybe not. Uh, so Dennis is the one I'll, I'll shout out. Um, like I said before, he doesn't get anywhere near as much credit as he deserves. Um, I've got a shout out to Travis Cooper, uh, who was part of my team last year, but isn't this year because he's just, uh, he and his wife just had a bub. So one, congratulations to him. And uh, two, thank you to Travis for doing all the tabletops for me. Because uh, Travis actually lives in Canberra and he's kind of like my my, my man on the scene. So I, if I get anything big, I get it sent to, to him and uh, he holds on to tabletops for me. Um, and yeah, so and then shout out to everyone who has had to hear me complain about painting terrain on our Australian hobby discord over the past two months. <laughs> <laughs> well trials and tribulations of being a to right absolutely absolutely um oh i do have uh, one more shout out so um another thing for travis so travis um has painted a wonderful nurgle army uh that we are raffling off uh 
we we had we started the the, the CanCon army raffle. You know, there there are several of you know several of these sort of things around the world. We thought CanCon we can we can harness uh, harness the power of all these people coming to this event and and do something for good. Uh, so Travis painted up. Uh, this this Nurgle army and we've been raffling that off and uh, with the the current sort of bushfire uh, disaster uh, we've made the the Red Cross bushfire appeal one of our targeted charities on that so if people want to uh, perhaps win an a Nurgle army you don't have to come to CanCon to win it you can be anywhere in the world so you could win it for five Australian dollars and have it shipped to you anywhere in the world um, you just go to heraldsaward.com forward slash charity army right that's the first thing I'm doing when we finish podcasting yep so, so we put uh, originally. So, there's a number of charities that you can choose from: the Cancer Council, RSPCA, uh, and then we put Red Cross on there. And so, the first weekend we put Red Cross on there, uh, we raised about fourteen hundred dollars just in the weekend. So that that money's already been paid to them, so that they could put it to work. And I think there's another couple of hundred dollars there that's already been raised. So that's really awesome from the community. But um, I'm sure there are people who haven't quite heard of that that raffle yet, and hopefully this podcast reaches them fantastic so yeah really encourage anyone you know for for five bucks it's uh to such a worthy cause especially given the the the, the level of devastation the amount of people who are affected by these by these fires it's it's really quite something if you uh if you're not really following it in detail it's um it's quite harrowing so it's definitely a really worthy cause to uh to support mm. so final questions yep if you could protect one thing about age of sigma and never have it change what would it be and if you could only change one thing in age of sigma and the rest of the game would never change what would it be uh if i could protect one thing it would be the priority role oh there's a new role there's a new role you can't say the priority role because too many people are saying it really i yeah. did that's not it this, that's not it's in not the in the show notes i know i'm gonna put you on the spot ah. so well so t- talk to me why why you'd want to protect the priority role but also um have a think about another thing you'd like to protect I feel I feel like I'm going to say the same thing that everyone else has, and is because it's a great mechanic. I think it's a really fun mechanic, and and as much as as much maligned as it is, I think it it adds a really good, um, uh, a really good tactical decision to Age of Sigmar, and I, I really enjoy that. You know, it comes down to that priority role and and the the feeling in the, on the table, and that I, I enjoy that feeling where you're like, oh, who's gonna who's gonna get this turn? I just yeah, that's one thing. But you want something that's not the priority role. Well, you know, <laughs> as much as I like to have everyone saying priority role over and over again, uh, yes, uh, we—I was chatting with a with a host, um, with a guest rather. I think it was Benjamin Savar actually, and uh, and he was doing, you know, he was joking. He was like, "Oh, you just want people to say the priority role, don't you?" And I was like, "No, do you know what? We'll, we'll stop people saying priority role because loads of people have, and for all the reasons that you've just covered, it, uh, you know, it's 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 clearly a very popular thing. One person has said the one thing they'll remove is the priority role, actually. So that's quite interesting." but just for a bit of variety if you if you could protect one other thing what would it change but what would it be oh and it would never change it would never change you could protect it forever enshrine it as part of age of sigmar forever well well it definitely have to be manfred von Karstein. <laughs> and he with the ring that change. he's got access they, to you know he's what? he's determined he, he to hang doesn't. on he doesn't have the ring. The ring's gone. Um, no, Benfred von Karstein. Lots of people hate him. I love him. I have a framed photo of him, a picture of him on my wall in the hobby room here. Uh, I never want Games Workshop to kill him off or get rid of him. So there you go. That's one thing I'll protect. Boom. And what about uh, one thing you would change? So the rest of the game is going to stay the same forever. You can you can change one thing. This is this is the only question that you that in the notes that you sent me that I haven't got an answer to. Because um, I, I was racking my brain today in between trying to finish up before I go on holidays. Um, oh gosh, 
one thing that I could change. That oh, can I can it be as nebulous as uh, that? Small monsters are good. Is that yeah? Is yeah, that yeah. nebulous? Yeah, no, so, go for so it. Things, Talk to me about that. So things like the Charybdis and the Gorgon, and that mainly the Charybdis. That's another favorite of mine. But basically, that kind of style of monster that is on that chariot base, and they typically are you know less than two hundred points. They just often they're not good. The, you might like as well take be... as many wounds worth of infantry yeah, or as many points much. worth of something else. And and not get the opportunity to take a cool model. Yeah. Which it's just it's just wrong. It's all the kind it's of, game it's, of it's the rare choices from the previous edition, isn't it? Yeah. It's pretty it's the much the centerpieces. Yeah. It's the it's the kind of thing that, that would be the largest model in your army <laughs> of, of previous in, editions. In, in eighth edition. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, but now they're just now some of them are a bit jokey. Uh you know, I don't think I've seen a Saigor in all of the lists that got submitted, and I don't think I've seen a Charybdis or a Hydra. And it's or, like, do you know what? It's a shame. I, I like this. Yeah, I like this. I'd like to see. I'd like to see more of those kind of things. Charybdis, a battle line in cities in a certain allegiance, don't they? In in that, scourge privateers that, or whatever. In in Anvil Guard, yeah. There we go. Yep. That's right. Yep. And if and if you could build the kit more than one way, I think we'd see a few more of them. Uh, they're a great. It's a great model. I love the Charybdis. I love everything about it. Um, yeah, but you don't see that style of monster in enough armies. I think if, if I could use my nebulous one thing to change would be to make those better. I think that would be, that would be the thing. So if I could ask a a further question based on that, how would you make them better? What, what do you think needs to change about small-ish monsters? I think just, and this is what, this is going to be one of those situations where people are yelling at their, at the, at the, the podcast as they're doing their office work or whatever it is. Don't yell doing. at the podcast, yell at the guest. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, Don't shoot the messenger. <laughs> basically, perhaps remove or severe, or change the wound table. Because I think often um, those style of monsters degrade too quickly to be useful hmm. that's that's my gut feeling on that because you've put me on the spot on it no well that's, um, that's what these questions because, are meant to do i mean that's why yeah uh, yeah that's why i sent you these questions in advance <laughs> yeah yeah i and i really i really struggled on this one um because i i was playing a mixed order list last year that had last year gosh it was the year before uh, they had a cryptus in it and I would, it would, it was not great to start with, and then it would degrade very quickly after that. Um, and I, it just didn't feel like the big tentacle fanged monster. And I think things like the the Saigor and and um, that style of of monster, the 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 slaughter brute, and that yeah, that that style of of monster, they um, they don't sort of last long enough to be monstrous. I think yeah. so. If you even if you started the wound, you know, taking away the um, or, or degrading them, you know, at half wounds or something. This is just this is just spitballing. No, ideas. well, that's no, that's the idea. You know, well, how, how about this as a, as a suggestion? So in forty k, there is a uh, when you create your own chapter tactic for Space Marines, you kind of like a you know when you create your own chamber or, or whatever. Um, you there is a way, and, and in fact, Iron Hands have access to this as well as part of their chapter tactic. Vehicles operate at double their wounds for the damage table yep so when you when you've got five wounds left on a vehicle it, it counts as if it has 10 purely based off movement and damage and attacks so perhaps something like a a command point that everyone has access to which yep. for a turn allows all your 
and there possibly there would need to be a, a keyword which only applies to monsters of less than a well in fact you, you wouldn't need a keyword you just say it applies to monsters of, a, of less than a certain number of wo- starting wounds and you say they all- you know maybe like a, a command ability called Beastmaster or something like that and say any monster that has a starting wounds of 12 or less or 10 or less um, within 12 inches of this beast of this model who counts as the Beastmaster for a CP they can make all those monsters uh, count for double wounds for damage and damage table reasons. Not that they get double wounds, yep. they, they're still on five wounds, but they count as 10. Something like that. That would be quite cool. And all those monsters tend to be about that 12 wounds. That's that's sort of where they sit. So, yeah. And you'd, yeah, have, to, you'd have to look at all the option. other 12 wound models out there and work out whether it would oh. break something because you, you could, or possibly then you just need to maybe add add something like, um, you know, you've, you've got bear moths and you've got the keyword monster. So maybe maybe something like, you know, a new keyword that applies to only certain monsters that could just, that's just a scroll update, isn't it? You could just be delivered via the, the yeah. app. Um, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Well, as I, I always say to, to my guests, this this uh, this question is always, um, you know, we're never going to finish it. We're never going to never gonna fix the issue here on the podcast. So it's just one one to think about. So, uh Clint, thank you ever so much, or and or Cliff, um, thank you ever so much for joining me. I uh, really appreciate your time, and I guess uh, the next, the last thing I want to say is best of luck for the weekend. By the time this comes out, it will be mere moments away, a, a day away from CanCon, so very best of luck at uh, the weekend. Thank you very much. Yeah, we'll be we'll be setting up when this comes out, probably, depending on actual e- exact times, but yeah, it'll be set-up day when this one comes out. Excellent. And of course, if if you're listening to this and you're going to CanCon and you uh, end up uh, on the podium or near the podium and you'd like to, to come on to Priority Roll to chat about your list and your experience, uh, especially if you, uh, you are first, second or third, we would, uh, we'd love to hear from you. So uh, to get in touch at, at Priority Roll on Twitter and uh, we'd, we'd love to have more Aussies on the show. Yep. That's that's after they go on Herald's of War, right? Uh, absolutely. They, they come on absolutely. Your, your, your show. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Right, you take care, mate. Cheers. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Priority Roll. If you want to get in touch with us, we're at Priority Roll on both Twitter and Instagram. You can send us an email, priorityrollpodcast at gmail.com, or you can go to anchor.fm forward slash Priority Roll and leave us a voice message. If you want to leave us some feedback, we're always looking to improve, or if you just want to suggest a topic to talk about on one of our upcoming shows, then feel free to get in contact with us. We'd love to hear from you. Until next time, thanks for listening to Priority Roll. Priority Roll.